five, four, three, two, one. down to four. Barrett has to make something happen. The drive off the window. Slam down! Hardenstein with the hammer. It's a four-point Knicks lead. The Knicks extend their season and force a game six. Tatum slips out. Fires the three. Made two in a row. Make it three. Jason Tatum not always there when you call, but always on time. Tatum with the three. That one falls. 16 points in the fourth quarter. Back out it comes. Half minute to go on the penalty. Here's Coach Gennady with a shot. Score! And Carolina moves to the Eastern Conference Final. You're listening to another edition of Sports Today with Peter J. Here's your host, Peter J. Mulroy. Man, you watch that Carolina Devils series, as good as Jersey looked against the Rangers, really after games one and two, and even the early portions of game three, completely different team. Completely different team. Carolina made them look silly. Three games alone, one goal, two in the other. They put up an eight spot at one point, five in the rest of the games that they played combined, and Carolina bounces them in five games. Impressive from Carolina, really uninspiring uh, from New Jersey as their season comes to an, a, a screeching halt after bouncing the Rangers uh, last week. Welcome to the latest edition, Friday, May 12th of Sports Today with Peter J. Of course, I'm your host, Peter J. Mulroy. Lots to get into, and we're going to start right after it, right? Early start time. I'm headed up to the Bronx today to watch Garrett Cole on the mound. Try to get the Yankees to try to get some momentum forward after dropping the first of four last night to Tampa Bay. More on that in a little bit. But we go into the NBA, and there's no better place, no more pressing place to begin than with Game 6 of the Eastern Conference Semifinals tonight, 7.30 tip, Knicks Heat. Miami wins. They move to the East Final as an 8 seed. The Knicks win. We get a Game 7 in Madison Square Garden. It's going to be the ESPN coverage tonight. Again, that's 7.30 tip time on the East Coast down in South Beach. This series can be summed up uh, rather simply. Knicks blew every opportunity they had in Game 1. They had the momentum coming out of the locker room. They lost Game 1 basically in the first five minutes of that third quarter. Game 2, they come back. No Jimmy Butler. They make it interesting, as only a New York professional sports team could do, without giving their fan base any semblance of heart palpitations. And they get Game 2. Show up in Miami on Saturday... Six days ago, like they never played basketball in their lives. Probably the worst performance we've seen from this Knicks team, which includes bad losses to teams like uh, the struggling Orlando Magic at one point. Now, Orlando's got some good talent. I'm not saying that, but it's not developed. Outside of Bancaro, it's not developed. Shouldn't be losing those games. So that was as bad as we'd seen the Knicks. And then comes game four. Following a game three... fair but the Knicks not able to get the get the stops when needed and here's the other thing depth wise and this is not to hammer the guy by any stretch of the imagination because the Knicks aren't here without his level of play and intensity but if it's not a shot from the corner Josh Hart just ain't it right now offensively and it's hurt them because it's starting to get frustrating specifically after how bad the Knicks looked for the entirety of Game 3, most of Game 4, and in stretches during Game 5, where at one point they had an 18-point lead, dwindled back down to 3, and they were able to hang on to get out of the Garden with a Game 5 win and push the series back tonight for those listening. That's Friday for Game 6. But it's becoming an annoyance. You know, Hart's having a bad stretch. Fine. It's becoming an annoyance watching Obi Toppin just completely misfire from all over the floor, mostly from three. I think that's a concern. I do. Because you have the other concern with Julius Randle's turnovers. But here's the thing. Reading online the other day, reading on social media forums, chat forums, whatever you want to call it. 
people just nailing Julius Randle. And believe me, I get it. Good basketball player, yes. Scorer, yes. Above reproach, no. And the way he's played in spots, you go back to game five, running down the floor one on three, doesn't see Gabe Vincent behind him, picks his pocket. And as well, that we've seen this before. The turnovers are concerning. But when compared to who would come in and fill minutes for him, Obi Toppin, you need Julius Randle. So these people that are pissing and moaning about him online, what is your alternative? Outside of Brunson, and Barrett's played well. Now, I know people love to hate R.J. Barrett, but again, you've got to give credit where credit's due. And I know he's not immune from the insane turnover time and time again. I get that. I get all of it. But what the Knicks have to get back to is what you saw late in Game 5. The reason they were able to get through Cleveland in, in rather simple fashion and effective fashion is because they played effectively as one. They were smart with the basketball. You know your table setters. Knicks fans have been dying for a pure point guard for two decades, and they finally have one in Jalen Brunson. He's your table setter. Working that ball down low, if he can get it outside for the hearts of the world, Barrett can do his thing. Julius Randle, obviously, when he's right, it's a dangerous team. But what scares you with the Knicks is when things start to go a little bit off how quickly the ship can sink. And that's scary. That's a problem. And that's coaching. The Knicks get down early tonight. You're going to be scratching your head a little bit. Your heart's going to be pounding a little bit because of some of the struggles, yes, that they have had down in South Beach. Took three or four from Miami during the season. But if you pay attention to those last two games in Miami, I mean, the Knicks should have stayed on the plane. Outclassed, outclassed by a Miami team, mind you, if the Knicks can play consistent defense, really at times has trouble putting putting the ball in the hoop. Monumental struggles. You limit turnovers outside of Jimmy Butler, and I know Vincent can get hot, and Martins look good in spots. Duncan Robinson, you got to watch when he j- just lets it fly. But if you're not turning the ball over, there are instances where this Miami team struggles to score. And I've said it before, and, and I am and I'm, I had not said this pound in my chest. No, this is not the usual type of eight seed that you would get this Miami team. They are very good. But outside the Knicks basically handing them game one, again, within the first five minutes of that third quarter, stuck in mud in game three and not able to come up with the big stops in game four, this Miami team isn't shooting the the, the lights out of the arena. These are self-inflicted wounds while you're in a 3-2 hole. You need all the offense. You know what you're getting from Brunson. That's a given. Barrett needs to be given more credit. And I'll tell you on both ends of the floor, the hustle and tenacity, same goes to Mitch Robinson. Scares the you-know-what out of you at that free-throw line, but he made some big ones the other night when they were doing the hack-a-shack, which is nonsense to begin with, whatever. That's a moot point. But the reason the Knicks are in this 3-2 hole is all self-inflicted. All self-inflicted. And it starts with turnovers. And the inability to hit those mid-to-long-range open jumpers. Josh Hart's struggling right now. Anything that doesn't exist in the corner, it's not going in. And Toppin drives you mad. Knicks can play different styles of basketball. They can break it down in the half court, and they can run on you. If you're going to run on them, they're going to be able to keep up. You're going to slow it down in the half court, a la Cleveland. They can do that too. But it's going to have to be their most complete effort of the season tonight in Miami. Any hints of game three? or parts of game four, it's really going to scare Nick fans, and it should. Game three, I, I mean, it, it it was unspeakable how bad that team played and the lack of intensity they showed. You would have been better off just not showing up. 
you get any sense of that tonight in the first five minutes, Miami's confidence goes, Jimmy Butler goes, Robinson shots are falling. It's problematic. Because of some of the veteran leadership here with guys like Brunson and Hart, And the energy that picked up from Game 5. Predictionville, give me the Game 7. I like the Knicks. You don't have to reinvent the wheel here. I like him to go into Miami tonight and even this damn series up. Right on this show, my original prediction was Knicks and 6 to begin with. That ship has sailed. Who cares about that anymore? That's why predictions are insane. I don't even really like doing them. Play their brand of basketball. Move the damn ball. Get it to your stars. And from my perspective, and again, this is not me standing on top of Mount Olympus screaming down to the peasants below that the three stars are Randall, Brunson, and Barrett. The Knicks go as they go. You don't have to like Randall and Barrett. I've been as hard on them as anyone. But Barrett deserves a hell of a lot more credit than he's gotten for the way he's played in this series and in and in parts of the Cleveland series. And Randall's had his moments. But the bottom line with the Julius Randall detractors, I know the turnovers kill you. Where is the scoring coming from if he's not on the floor at that position? Because from what we've seen, it ain't coming from Obi Toppin. Obi Toppin, phenomenal athlete, not a basketball player. I think the Knicks go into Miami tonight. I'll be streaming it on my phone from Yankee Stadium, I hope. I'm going to see if I get the Wi-Fi password. I used to have it as an MLB employee. They took everything from me when I got out of there. So I'll have to stream that. I get the negativity around Randall. Believe me, I do. One thing I try to do in this broadcast is approach it from the fan perspective. I get out of my mind just like everybody else. But you have to take a step back sometime while Randall sucks. Put his ass on the bench. Who are you bringing in to fill those minutes? Take a look at what happened in game one. Not in the game. You lose by double figures. That's scoring you would have had from a healthy Randall. He struggles. They take him out. Fine. You have your moments. Uh, Brunson steps up in a big spot. Barrett steps up in a big spot. Mitch steps up in in a big spot. Hart, right now, I don't know how someone hasn't got in Obi Toppin's head and say, unless you love it, don't shoot it. Because it's become a huge problem, along with the turnovers. That you know, you, Another guy you talk about is Emmanuel quickly. He's effective with the basketball in his hands. And I know he's still younger, and he's a depth piece, but the kid protects the ball. As does Brunson. Smart basketball, the Knicks are a better team. They just are. They are a better team than the Miami Heat. They should win this game tonight and win the damn series. That's really all there is to it. They're in a 3-2 hole, and I'll say it for the third time, because of self-inflicted freaking wounds. And if it happens again tonight, Miami is going to slam the door shut. Liking Brunson and his moxie the way I do, that does not happen. I think the Knicks uh, will win tonight. I do. Which would mean you'd have two game sevens because Boston really pulled out a gutsy victory uh, the other night against Philadelphia in Philly. Jason Tatum, 16 points in the win. Um, We got a call on the line. No name attached to it. It's Vinny. Ben, what the hell, man? You have a profile on here. I don't. I don't know what the hell. I got a new phone. It's. Oh, give me a. Not, I'll, not, okay, well, I'll walk I'm you not, through. I'm, I'm not very technologically sound. What's up? I know what you want to talk about. Go ahead. Well, you know, I've been a Randall supporter forever. Something happened with him. There's a different look on his face. I don't know what's going on with him. I, I, I just, uh, I heard a rumor that he knows he's going to be traded. And that's how he's playing. You know, and the thing you say with Toppin, 
I'm going to sum up Toppin's whole basketball deal. He's a deer in headlights. He gets that ball. He doesn't know what to do with it. He and shoots listen, another. Yeah. At this time of the year, Vin, and I'm I'm not even saying I don't like the kid. He's a he's a pro athlete. But he's got to go to the basket. He's got to go. He's got to go to the basket. He's a high flyer. Throw him lobs. Go to the basket. Take somebody off the dribble like Adebayo does. He's the same size as Adebayo. Do the same thing. He's got a nice touch around the rim. It makes me crazy that this guy's at the three-point line. I want to. I want to shoot Thibodeau. I mean, get him off the three-point line. It's making that, me I mean, nuts. Listen, it, it, it was it was a round part of his game. A complete player at Davidson. When it's good, it's good. When it's bad, as you, it has been lately, it's problematic. Do you, do you see the play that Miami Miami consistently runs when they run the guard on the side and they throw it in the middle out of Bayou? Run that play with the Knicks with Toppin. It'll work all day long. Nobody gets up higher than Obi Toppin. He's got like a seven foot nine wingspan, the guy. Put him in the middle and let him take little jump hooks, little sky hooks. He could do that. I've seen him do it at Davidson. I and want listen, to touch on a God. And the other thing on that point, too, is, is you mentioned Toppin's athleticism, which is undeniable, and Adebayo. I mean, and part of the reason that I say this is not a quintessential eight seed, yes, because of guys like Bam and Robinson when he shoots well, and obviously Jimmy Butler, but it's Eric Spolstra plays a, a, a monumental role with the success, fucking, success of this yeah, team. No, uh, he's, a, really. he's, a, he's a gene. He's a gene. He, I mean, Thibodeau's getting out coached on the defensive end. He's getting – I mean, you can see the set plays. But the other thing that's killing the Knicks is if it's if one guy's missing the three-pointers, there's four other guys that could shoot the three. Like the other night, Struess was off, but then Duncan Robinson and, and Martin are making them. These Robinson guys are hitting, scares you when he's hot. These, these guys are hitting – these guys are hitting three-pointers from Victory Boulevard. It's like, it, 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 it's insane. Those are the shots that are killing them. It's not Butler. It's not anybody else. It's those threes that are keeping them in the game. And the Knicks got to defend that three-point line better. They have to Vin, defend that three-point line better. These, these shots are wide open. Ben, you know? I, I got to ask you, only, only out, of, out of sheer concern, and I don't disagree with any point. Yeah. Where are you calling from? It sounds like you're calling me from the set of a Hitchcock movie. I'm right across the street from your house. I'm a Pino's Pizza. <laughs> you could probably see me from your fucking from your living room. Sorry. <laughs> you could probably see me from your living room. I work there on Thursday and Friday nights. But, uh, yeah, right. no, I just – and one other thing is I've gained a lot of respect for, for, for Barrett yes. because that guy just plays with a game face, never too high, never too low, and he's giving it everything he got. I gained a ton I – was, I was down on him. But I gained every bit of respect I could for him. And Brunson has to have the ball the whole game. Because yeah, they can't yeah. stop they, they can't stop Brunson. I, they can't stop him. I think they're going to win tonight. I just want to touch on the Jets schedule. Of course, before go Joe ahead. Jet, yeah. before well, Joe listen, Jet we're going to get into Brunson. that stuff later, too, for those listening. Before, but, yeah, Vinny, go ahead. Before Joe Jet comes on here and blows smoke up everybody's ass, I want to <laughs> touch on the Jets schedule. Go ahead. They, they, that schedule is absolutely brutal. I'm going to make a prediction right here. By Thanksgiving, they're three and nine. Oof. They're three and nine by Thanksgiving. I, listen, I'm I, I, my prediction there is that if I was able to poll the the Jet fan base, that you are in a league of your own there with that record. They are three and nine. That schedule is absolute. Listen, the so-called easy games they got. You think Denver's an easy game with Sean Payton and that defense? No, no. shot. You think the Raiders are an easy game no. with Jimmy? Do you think no? I see one. E I see one easy game on that schedule, and that might not even be easy because you got you got the D'Amico Ryan's factor because him and Salah were both uh, they both work together. That's the easiest game on their schedule. You think the Sean Watson with Elijah Moore coming back to Cleveland's an easy game? Yeah. Then on top of that, you got the Eagles, the Chiefs, you got the Cowboys, you got the Giants, you got the Chargers, you got the Bills twice, the Dolphins twice, the Patriots twice, who I haven't beaten in thirty years. This team will be lucky. Just remember, I said this here to win seven games this year. Uh, okay. Listen, you've said seven and ten repeatedly, so you stick to your guns. I'll, I, I will give yeah. you the credit there. All right. I got to go back to work, Pete. It was nice <laughs> talking to you. Great job. Bye. Thank you, Vinny. Yeah, listen, uh, Vinny's a regular caller, and a lot of the points he makes are correct. And what I w where I will agree with him here is, with the Jets' schedule being difficult,
and listen, I'm going to get to this in about another 25, 30 minutes or so, because again, this is a shorty, because I'm getting up to the Bronx with my wife tonight. Um, Yankees, 7 o'clock game against Tampa Bay, Garrett Cole on the mound, more on that in a minute. This Jet schedule is tough, and as I'll talk about in a few minutes, the Giants schedule is absurd. But again, getting back to uh, what is happening around the NBA, Knicks, game six tonight, for those listening live, that's Friday, May 12th. If the Knicks win, like I predict that they will, because they're just a better basketball team. The potential game seven would be Monday, May 15th, eight o'clock on the East Coast. That game would be um, at Madison Square Garden. One would assume uh, ESPN would be anchoring uh, that coverage. The Eastern Conference Finals are set to begin Wednesday, May 17th. Game one is going to be in either Boston or Philadelphia. They're both higher seeds as two and three, respectively, than the Knicks and the Heat are at five and eight, respectively. On the other side of the East, again, Tatum, 16 points in game six, 16 points in the fourth quarter. As Boston, for the second year in a row, down in a 3-2 hole, they come back and they even things, setting up a game seven uh, Sunday in Boston. Last I checked, that Sunday the 14th, the time was still to be announced. But, I mean, that's going to be an unbelievable vibe and environment uh, in Beantown for that game. I mean, this was a 76ers team that dismantled the Nets uh, in round one, and they've been doing the little things, playing together as one unit, not doing silly things. Um, and the way they played game five against Boston in Boston uh, was magnificent. And then Boston comes back on the road, uh, a hard, gutsy, tough victory to even things up. I mean, Tatum's the best player on the floor, uh, in my opinion, even with Embiid, as good as he's been in the league MVP, Tatum's game is just too good. My original prediction here still holds until it doesn't. We're going to game seven. I had Boston in seven. I lost my Knicks prediction. I had him in six. That ship has sailed game six tonight. Now just get me to seven, and we can worry about that. You're talented. You're more talented than this Miami team. Prove it tonight. Get back to the garden because my, I, you know what? You got that game seven Monday, May 15th. If it happens, that might be a potential ticket buy. I mean, the the, the energy level at, at that arena, at Madison Square Garden for a game seven to get to the East final is going to be ridiculous. So you got Miami up 3-2. Philly tied with Boston at 3-3 going to a game seven. Denver out west knocks off Phoenix and Kevin Durant. I had Phoenix as the scariest team uh, to do damage in this entire postseason. And then they ran into Denver. So I prediction there was Denver in six. I get it. Scariest team, do damage. Phoenix, if they had that matchup with Denver, maybe they could do it. They made it interesting. Nicola Joker, just too good. Just too good. The depth that they have, the way Denver plays at home, is unbelievable. Best home team in basketball this year, and they prove it again uh, when they needed it most. And now they'll be set up for a Western Conference final against either number six, Golden State, or number seven, the Lakers. And the Lakers have a 3-2 lead. Game six also tonight. That's the 12th for those uh, who listening uh, later. At 10 p.m. on the East Coast, ESPN is going to anchor that coverage. So if you get to another Game 7, this would be back-to-back series for Golden State, who need a win, where they went seven games. And that potential Game 7 would also be Sunday, uh, May 14th, as they continue to lock over those times. I had Warriors in six here. Obviously wrong. That's not going to happen. Uh, the West Final is scheduled to begin Tuesday, May 16th. It's going to begin in Denver. They're the top seed in the West outright. If the Lakers win and end things tonight in six, it's a possibility that the West final starts when those West game sevens would have been uh, on Sunday, May 14th. That would only happen if the Lakers win tonight. If we go to a game seven, that game seven would be in Golden State. And then the Western Conference finals will begin next week, Tuesday, May 16th. Listen, it's been fun. This has been a hell of a tournament. You're getting at least six games in every series in the in the conference semis, both East and West. 3-2 Miami, Philly-Boston going seven, Denver knocked off Phoenix in six, and Lakers-Golden State go game six tonight. Bottom line, 
Give me the Knicks tonight, setting up game seven. And give me the Warriors. I know LeBron and co. are playing great ball, and they really are. But give me the Warriors tonight. I like the Warriors. And what that would set up, potentially. I mean, you're going to get Denver and Lakers or Golden State. That's great basketball. Knicks, Heat, Celtics, Philly. It's a win for everybody. It's a win for basketball fans everywhere because of the talent level remaining uh, from all of these teams. Really, really remarkable. And it's going to be a hell of a ride to the finish line. Yeah, I thought Domingo was really, really good. Um, thought I thought Domingo did a good job with his fastball too, of you know not being so predictable and you know probably getting them off the off speed a little bit, using his fastball effectively, spun it uh, well. That's Aaron Boone, Yankee manager, referencing the performance last night of Domingo Herman in Game One of a four-game homestand against the first place and rocking and rolling uh, Tampa Bay Rays. Yanks dropped the game 8-2. Herman comes out of the game, and here's where Booney's correct. He comes out after 5-2, and two-third, allowed a run, three hits, three walks, and three Ks. Fine performance. Bullpen has been solid for the Yanks this year. You probably had an uh-oh moment last night. As if it hasn't been enough of a problem for the Yankees, who are fifth in the AL East, 21-18 overall record, whatever. They're above 500. This is the best division in baseball, and it's not even close. Not even close. Last night's loss, now they're nine behind Tampa. Uh, game back at a wild card. Whatever. He's still very much in the mix. Talent-wise, this is a playoff team. They're banged up, and the offense just disappears. Herman leaves after five and two-thirds. Last night, Yanks down one nothing. They lose eight to two. Ron Marinaccio, who's basically been unhittable, comes in for third of an inning, gives up two runs. Albert Abreu comes in for an inning, gives up a hit and a run. I don't know the last time I saw a pitching performance as awful as I did last night from Ryan Weber. Five runs, three hits across innings eight and nine. I mean, if that is not crap pitching, I don't know what is. To lose a game like that by six runs, where you're down one in a competitive game after your starter, who for a number of reasons, which you could probably figure out, I'm not an overly huge fan of to begin with. Gives you that type of performance. The offense does jack, and then the bullpen just implodes. 40 games into the season, 39 games into the season, are you panicking? No, but you're paying attention. Nine out, nine out, and it's May 12th, and you're the New York Yankees? No, I'm sorry. Something needs to be done and I know there's injuries. I get it. The Radon thing is scary. And that's where I was going next with this. You dropped last night the first of four. Fine. Cole on the mound tonight. Right the ship. I know he was not good the last time out last week against Tampa Bay. I get it. But he's your best pitcher. He's got to step up at home. And it starts tonight. By the way, it's Anthony Rizzo, Star Wars bobblehead night. Place is going to be jammed. Place is going to be absolutely jammed. But you got Cole on the mound. The Rodon thing... When you go around the Yankee injury report, talk about how this team has just been completely inept offensively. The pitching overall has been solid, all right? Even Clark Schmidt, you start to see signs of why the Yankees are so high on him. I know that's not a popular opinion, but that that's fact. Boone continues to do freaking head-scratching things, but I don't know how much is him and how much is Puppet Master. But Rodon has been seen by three different specialists to figure out why he continues to have back discomfort. This may turn out to be totally wrong, but my prediction here is you don't see him at all this year. And to piggyback that, you might not see Frankie Montas in a high leverage game this year either, out until at least June. When they put that out, extend that timeline, at least June. After he's been on the record saying he was hurt, for most of his early, uh, late tenure with the Yankees last year, this is not good. You still don't have Severino back. Probably won't get him back uh, May. That You're looking probably at early June there. Jonathan Loisega out of the bullpen was just moved to the 60-day injured list. So it's just a revolving door of injuries. And I, and I don't know when it stops. Is this research-based? Specifically with the Montas thing? 
the Rodon thing is, is alarming. Three specialists for back discomfort. This guy's not pitching this year, folks. And if he does, great. And if he does without risk of harming himself even more, great. Offensive side of things, Peraza gets banged up. He's got the right ankle sprain. You won't see him for another week. Josh Donaldson is allegedly returning from his hamstring injury in the coming days. I feel like I've been saying that for four freaking weeks. And then we know Giancarlo Stanton's not back before early June. I wouldn't be surprised as, as the, this guy's a tough SOB. I know he's banged up a lot. I think you might see him again uh, in late May. They're, you know, they're head above water here, the Yankees. Rizzo coming into uh, – not Rizzo. Uh, Volpe coming into his own. I get it. The pitching. You know, Cortez lately solid, but not what you expected. Herman has been good. He was great the other night. Boone loved it before. And everything he said about him was correct. Uh, Brito, I think there are flashes of. It's it's going to be a big boon for them to get Severino back. And tr- and and you, Josh Donaldson, like him or lump him, he's a bat they're going to need. And a veteran presence they're going to need. You know you listen to my program. I'm not an overly big fan. But where's the offense coming from? And if the bullpen's going to continue to implode like this, this is problem. This is problem of the century here in the Bronx. This is this is big time. In a division like this, where you've got Tampa Bay rolling, still haven't lost 10 games. Baltimore is, is a complete team from top to bottom. Toronto was a popular World Series pick at the beginning of the year, and the Red Sox are playing good ball. 21 and 18 for the Yankees is not a terrible record. But the way they lose some of these games really turns your stomach. And you got an opportunity tonight with your literal ace on the mound to try to get something started against the best team in baseball. Oh, last time out against Tampa Bay, not good. I get it. But they will need him tonight as he goes up against Trevor Kelly. Torres, Judge, Rizzo. DH, right field, first base. LeMahieu is going to clean up at third. Harrison Bader, who's had a nice season since coming off the DL. He bats fifth and plays in center. IKF gets to start and left. He'll bat sixth. Here's your bottom third. Volpe's at short at seven. Trevino behind the plate. And Cabrera is going to play second and bat ninth. So you'll have an opportunity here. Cold today. Herman yesterday gave you a good performance. Rizzo hit leadoff. Not able to do anything. This is a lineup that's had Jake Bowers in it, Willie Calhoun, Franchi Cordero. I, I mean, it the, the lack of urgency in the offseason is part of the reason that you're here. Nice to get Rodon. What's he doing for you? You invested everything to get Judge, which I was a defender of. You need him. He's your captain. You want him here after a historical season. But there were issues. Issues galore that got blinded by the start the Yankees had to last season. I've been a Yankee fan my whole life. I don't drink the Kool-Aid, though. It's not always la-di-da. Everything's fine. This used to be a franchise that got pissed off and said it was a bad season, even if you made it to the World Series and lost. It was World Series of bust. Where's that? Yeah, I know George Steinbrenner pissed people off. Wish we could bring the damn guy back with a sense of urgency. You're 21 and 18. And 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 Aaron Boone, a lot of people don't like him. Again, I say this. How much is him and how much is coming from upstairs? Why is it never a big deal when things go wrong, when there's errors? When guys are getting the golden sombreros, striking out left and right, not running the bases clean. Why can't you just nail someone? Because they make millions of dollars to throw a piece of leather around? You're going to hurt their feelings? I mean, gone are the days I, I, of, of Tory. Nonverbal punishment of moving A-Rod down to sixth in the postseason. Gone are the days of Tommy Lasorda just ripping people apart on those really good Dodger teams. No more Mike Socias. Even Joe Girardi was run out of town. Now, not a fan of him at all for multiple reasons that I'm not going to get into. 
But that guy was right about Gary Sanchez, who was coddled. That didn't work out. It's weak leadership in the Bronx, and people are afraid to say it. It's weak leadership and not being able to identify and admit what has gone wrong. And still to that credit, this is a, this is a talented baseball team. A very flawed one, but a talented one. But going around saying, yeah, everything's good. We'll figure it out. What, where, what merit is that based on? You're nine games out of first as the New York Yankees at 435 on a Friday behind the Tampa Bay Rays who do this with smoke and mirrors. Every freaking year. Tampa Bay is the lock of the century to win 90 games. Now they hit with pop. They draft well. They develop well. They play small ball when they need it, and they save arms. Believe me, I'm not a big pitch count guy. They do it the right way. Kevin Cash was laughed at when he started the opener stuff. You all know baseball fans know what I'm talking about. Look at him now. Best team in baseball. It's not even close. And if this starts a run of losses here with the Yankees, they're out of this thing before June. Wild card, fine. Division's over if the wheels come falling off. And if last night's an indication of what we might see with this bullpen, wow. Wow. We should never see Ryan Weber ever again pitch for the Yankees. Ever again. Horrific. Absolutely horrific, and it was an embarrassment. Speaking of embarrassments, let's go to Queens. Three and seven over the last 10 games are the Mets, including a sweep by the Detroit Tigers. Now they're getting ready to host Colorado. I mean, this is a Mets team that just can't get anything going. And you talk about Max Scherzer. Start to his season has been nothing, nothing short of a disaster. Absolutely nothing short of a disaster. And from the top down, not able to score runs. I said Colorado, by the way. I meant that Mets have the Nationals uh, on the road starting tonight. My apologies. Uh, Scherzer's expected to return this weekend. But here's the caveat to that. Three-time Cy Young winners got back issues that have continued to plague him before and after that 10-game suspension for the nonsense that he really didn't deserve. This is a, this is a concern that you're going to have to watch all season if you're the Mets. You know, this guy's not 25 anymore. Seven games out of the East lead behind Atlanta, who's playing great baseball. Talk about teams who do it right. Mets, just like the Yankees, right there, game out of the wild card. But that's that shouldn't, I know it's not the goal with Steve Cohen and Queens to just get in. And I know it's not the Yankees' goal to just get in. But I'm a hell of a lot more convinced that the Mets have more of a fire under their ass than the Yankees do. I mean, let's be serious. Mets are going to have an opportunity to, to, to do some damage coming up. You get three with Washington, not a great baseball team. The three at home, followed by three at home with Cleveland, that's not an easy stretch. But this is not a, a team that is devoid of talent. So I am, yes, I as as a fan, as someone who, I, will, I guess for the purposes of this program, consider myself a host, yes, I am surprised at the the level with which the Mets have played to start this season. Am I surprised by the Yankees? I really am not. There were issues that we saw late in the season last year. They get to the ALCS and get thumped by Houston. We can't uh, revert back to that enough because it was offensive woes again. And what has it been this year? I know last night the bullpen was awful, but the pitching overwhelmingly for the Yankees has been the reason that that organization is still in the mix here. 40 games into the season. And I say still, and I know 40 games into the season. Oh, this guy's being dramatic. Am I? Where's your offense coming from? Where are are reserves in the bullpen not named Ryan Weber that you could feel comfortable with 
with knowing Loisig is now on the 60-day list, and Marinaccio did what he did last night, and the inconsistencies of Clay Holmes. Where? I'm all ears. Where? Why wouldn't you start to think about panicking? But the Mets, take a look at their lineup tonight. Meagles on the mound. I think he's been solid 3-2. and two, uh, A bit inflated ERA at 4-3. But you got Nimmo, Lindor, McNeil, Alonzo. That's a pretty, that's more than a pretty legitimate top four. Or at least it should be. Tommy Pham eh, at 5. Marte bat 6th and right. Canna, who was a nice piece for them. DHs batting 7th. Escobar at 3rd. Alvarez behind the plate bats ninth. This team really shouldn't struggle to score runs, folks. So, I, listen, it, I get it's been frustrating to be around the New York scene and watch baseball this year. It has been. But I, something's going to change. What that's going to be, head's going to roll. I mean, I, I the Yankee population doesn't seem too overwhelmingly supportive of Aaron Boone, which I understand. But what, at certain points, what do you want the guy to do? Same with Buck. And he's got a plethora of talent. And they can't get it right. Losing to the Cincinnati Reds. Getting swept by the Tigers. Come on. There's no reason for this. It's not an atrocious Yankee team. It's not an atrocious Met team. But now as we approach the midway point of May, start turning it on. Yes, some of these guys got to come back. But if you're going to use that next man up nonsense, you better do it right. Because it is becoming cause for concern in both the Bronx and in Queens. And I'm sure they get down early. Yankee Stadium, the, the Yankee fans are miserable when they want to be. They are going to be freaking moaning and groaning tonight. God forbid the Knicks lose while I'm at Yankee Stadium. I'm going to grab my wife and we are going to run out of there. Highlight of the night may be having the Yankee Stadium popcorn. Because it's the best popcorn in the city. From what I've eaten. It's my favorite snack. Nothing rivals Yankee Stadium popcorn. So we'll see. There's time, yes. But the time to get things rolling is now. Hit subscribe. And don't miss the next episode. Sports Today with Peter J. Yeah, you know the platforms to subscribe by now. Podbean, the app. Uh, Samsung, Spotify, uh, iHeart's killing it for the program, which has been great. Uh, I want to move into the NHL playoffs. Listen, it's been fun. Uh, obviously, sour teeth in your mouth with the rate, the way the Rangers season ended. Two assistants go by the wayside this week after Gallant gets axed. So change is coming uh, for the Broadway Blue Shirts. But if you, you, you look at the, now the landscape of what's left, in the NHL playoffs, I mean, I think we can start taking the Florida Panthers for real up on <laughs> up on the Maple Leafs 3-1 to one now. And what the Hurricanes did to the Devils in five was nothing short of surgical. Jersey gets two goals combined, uh, games one and two, just like they did against the Rangers. They come back and put up an eight spot in game three, cut it to 2-1. Then the offense disappears again. One goal in a 6-1 game four loss. And then they lose in overtime in game five uh, on the 11th in overtime. I mean, it 4-1 series for, for Carolina. First time in the East Final since 2019. Uh, this is a team that's firing. And whether they get Florida or if Toronto is able to dig themselves out of what was a 3-0 hole, now is a 3-1 hole, um, it's going to be uh, interesting. But um, the way things have gone, I mean, Boston, record-setting regular season, they're out. And now you're looking at maybe uh, a wild card seed, just like potentially an eight seed Miami Heat team playing in their conference final. Before I uh, continue and, and break down the, the Western side of things in the NHL, Mike's on the line. Mike, what's up? Hey, how you doing, Pete? All right, man. What's going on? Well, I'm very curious about the Rangers coaching search. Uh, you know, they got a long list of potential coaches. But I tell you the truth. The kid that's coaching Hartford, uh, Knobloch, I know they say he doesn't have enough experience, no Stanley Cup experience, but you're talking about a team that won one cup since Pearl Harbor. Yeah. So why not give this guy a chance? I like the guy. I think well, he's a good hockey man. 
and I and think he's, he's, a, he's a dreary type guy too. Um, and you know, he'll know everybody there, which is why I think, I mean, if you're a New York post reader, you know, I, I think that's kind of where they're hinting, uh, where they see and potentially want things to go, um, to keep that cohesiveness right. within the organization, because I, you know, I, I was of the mindset after the series ended and the, and the firing happened so quickly prior to what happened the year before with the Rangers losing in the conference final in six to Tampa, I said, I, that maybe there's a situation here where this turns around and backfires on the Rangers. And then I, right. you know, I'm sitting there thinking about the way they lost in game seven. I'm going, you know what? That's effort. That's coaching. So, right. uh, you know, I guess I felt the same way. And, you know, now that I, I see what, the, you know, the plans in the offseason, they're going to have a battle here with Tarasenko and Kane. Um, Kane's going to mm-hmm. cost more money. Um, but as far as the coaching search is concerned, you know, the home run hire would, from everything that you read, would be Mike Sullivan. The problem there, yeah. he's still under contract with the Penguins. Right. So yeah, you just signed he's got two years left on that or two or three yeah. years left on that. So, um, right. but with Pittsburgh not making the playoffs is they got rid of their GM. So they're going through changes, but I, you know, I, I, I agree with the not block aspect of it. It's going to, it's going to be interesting. And I think it's something that's going to happen rather quickly. Yeah, I think so too. And from what I heard, uh, Drury and Knobloch really get along. So that means a lot too. Yeah, they, but, well, well, there's the pipeline there. They better get along. Uh, right, right. I mean, I was sorry to see Gallant go in a sense because I can't say I didn't like him. I'd be lying. I said I did. I, you know, I did like him, but the way they performed in that seventh game, it's just turned me off. And that that has to be the coach. And they, you know, their veteran players other than Kreider, really didn't step up, especially Panarin. I mean, this guy makes a fortune. But, you know, from day one, I always liked Panarin, but from day one, I told friends of mine, the guy is 5'9 and 180 pounds. When playoff yeah. time comes, he gets knocked around. He does. Sorry. It, 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 that's a, at, and it, after seeing it a couple of years now, it's Mike, it's an undeniable fact. Yeah. And, you know, you got to – you have to let – see, I think – you know, Panarin's been playing the style he plays since he's 10 years old. You can't put a square peg in a round hole. You can't tell Panarin to be a hard-checking player. He can't do that. You have to let him loose, let him make his crazy passes, and you live with it. Put him on, put a couple of really good defensive players on his line, and you take you hope for the best. Or trade him. You know, Listen, it, it, I, this is just the tip of the iceberg here, um, depending on how they view, you know, again, the likes of Tarasenko and Kane. What happens with someone like Keandre Miller? Massive changes are going to come after you load up at the deadline like the Rangers did and then lose in the fashion that you do. It's never fun yes. losing to a rival in the playoffs in seven. But when you load That's up right. and you throw the bank, in order to get to the promised land and you don't even sniff where you were the year before, right? That's a problem. And that's I think right. Chris and then, Dreary knows it, which is why another name yeah. that can't totally be dismissed out of this is gonna be Patrick Waugh, who's been coaching in Quebec. He's dear friends with Drury. Uh, you know, people are kind of you know doing double takes when they hear that name, but I think that's another guy that potentially ESPN has written about it that you can't totally dismiss. It's gonna be a connection right. higher. And it's going to be a hire that somebody comes in and really, I mean, would a, would, would Elaine Vigneault be so terrible to think about as a Ranger right. head coach? It's going to be somebody who comes in here and is going to kick the door open because that's what needs to happen here. That's true. That's true. I didn't think of Patrick Waugh. From what I heard, he's a pretty tough cookie when it comes to coaching. Well, listen, the, the way he played throughout his career and was a teammate at one point in Colorado with Drury, I mean, these guys know each other well. Uh, and yeah. have him here as a head coach potentially working with Shesterkin, who cannot do everything by himself, um, yeah. it, it's something to consider. Yeah. It's definitely something interesting. to consider. Yeah, that's an interesting, interesting line, yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. 
All righty. Uh, Mike, I appreciate the call. And uh, yeah, well, listen, we'll, and we're going to keep you posted with, with everything here. So, uh, Mike, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks. Okay. Th Look, th th there's going to be, there's opportunity out there. See the Knicks, the Rangers, Giants, Jets. You're an automatic draw. Rangers got to get this one right. Because even outside of bringing in Tarasenko and Kane, let's eliminate them for the purposes of this conversation and go back a few months. There's too much talent on that team to let rot. I, and they'll ha they're definitely going to have to think about the complete disappearance of Alexa. I'm not going to beat a dead horse because it would be unfair to, to listeners and, and the young man himself. That was alarming, the way he played in that series. Just quickly going back around, this Dallas-Seattle series has been awesome. I mean, the seesaw battles. Seattle gets game one in overtime. I think the score was 5-4. Dallas comebacks and comes back and wins game two. Seattle takes game three. They go up 2-1. to one. Now it's tied at two. Dallas wins in overwhelming fashion games four and five. 6-3, 5-2. They lead 3-2. Now they go back to Seattle. On Saturday, May 13th, 7 o'clock puck drop on the East. Uh, ESPN is going to anchor that game. If they need a game seven, it's Monday the 15th in Dallas. Uh, time still up in the air. The winner of that series gets the winner of the 1-2 between Vegas and Edmonton. And this series is knotted through four games. I mean, we're so lucky as sports fans the way the NBA and NHL playoffs have literally played out. There's something good to watch each night. And this was a seesaw battle as well. Vegas takes game one and three. Edmonton takes two and four. We're tied at two. Game five tonight, 10 o'clock TNT, uh, 10 o'clock on the East. If they need six and seven, it's the 14th and the 16th. So we're getting close. We're getting close to our East and West finals on the ice and on the hardwood. And one way or the other, what we get is going to be um, an awesome final on, on both landscapes across the board. This has just been a remarkable year in the postseason. And what we've had with baseball, with the Rays, uh, the Orioles, the Braves, the Dodgers are starting to get hot. You can never eliminate them. The Brewers have had a nice season. And the Pirates and Cubs have been a nice story. So there's been something going on for everyone. If you're a fan of the PGA Tour, I mean, you know, what's going on there? you got the Byron Nelson going on this week. Uh, we're we're in, into the crux of the season with the PGA Championship coming up next week um, in Rochester at Oak Hill. I mean, this is an awesome time. Uh, to be a sports fan, um, but you might have a little uh, angst if you're a New York Giant fan uh, after last night's schedule release uh, across the NFL. Uh, it was not the type of schedule I think Giant fans expected. And the NFL loves to make a big deal, you know, Every time it does something. The NFL draft dragged across three days. Thursday night games, which is the dumbest freaking thing in sports. This is hard enough for these guys. And I know they make stupid money. Thursday night games. This is the reason Roger Goodell is absolutely despised. Is because of what I'm about to give you. This is the New York Giants schedule. Maybe I'm totally off base, but this is a historical schedule that the Giants have begun. I'll explain what I mean by that. Week one, they're home against Dallas. I have no problem playing Dallas week one now that it's no longer in Dallas because that crap got old. Those of you listening to the program, no, I don't even like bringing up that team's name. Now, we were raised as kids. Hate's the strong word. Don't use it. I hate the Dallas Cowboys more than any team on the face of the earth it is not even close i love the philadelphia eagles and boston red sox compared to the sheer disdain i hold for everything dallas cowboy everything it just eats at my soul so the giants get them week one at home september 10th the date's important week two sunday september 17th giants go on the road to arizona fine by the way the week one game with the, with the Cowboys, 820. Keep that in mind. Week three, September 21st, 815, back out west in San Francisco. 
Week four, Giants come home. 8-15, Monday night, December 2nd. So just to recap, three of the Giants' first four games are in primetime. Plus, the first three games of the Giants' season are going to be played within 11 days. In what universe? Now, believe me, I know the time that we're living in where nothing in the world makes sense. But in what legitimate universe where the people that put these things together is that fair or right and just? Three professional NFL football games in 11 days? I mean, Roger Goodell must have been sitting there in his paradise lounge with his head literally up his ass when they were putting these schedules together. Seven of the Giants' first ten games are on the road. They play the Eagles twice. They play them two times in the last three weeks of the season. I mean, you talk about insane and unconscionable. Folks, this is the first time a schedule of this magnitude. Seven of your first ten on the road. Three games played within 11 days has never happened. But the scheduling seven of ten on the road like this is the first time that this has happened in the NFL since they put the bye weeks back in in 1990. This is criminal. Absolutely criminal. And let's compare it to the darlings of the NFL. Everybody loves the Kansas City Chiefs all of a sudden. Detroit, they'll open the season Thursday. That makes sense. They should open the season. On the road in Jacksonville. Then they get Chicago. Those are separated by 17 days because that's normal. Then they play the Jets October 1st. October 8th, they go to Minnesota. So they've got back-to-back road games. Jets, Minnesota. But it makes sense geographically with where Kansas City's located. Their bye week is week 10. Now, for the Giants, the only good news you can take there is that their bye week is week 13. But compared to schedules around the league, this is one of the most disgraceful acts that I can remember as far as putting together, you know, you want equity. You want, you know, want to be fair and balanced. I get it. Well, don't say it if you're not going to do it. Because this is BS. And quite honestly, with the nonsense of putting the Thursday night games in there years ago, which was dumb to begin with, this is how people get hurt. I'm all about the, the Europe games and all and all that. You, you want to expand the globe and all that, get people involved. Uh, great. Three professional football games with the best athletes in the world trying to murder one another. And they play three times in 11 days. And two of them, they got to go out west. Three out of four in prime time. It's going to be some damn story this year when the Giants win 12 freaking football games to spite these assholes. Excuse my language. Because this is despicable. This is absolutely despicable. Giants and Jets, October 29th. That'll be a good one. Giants at a home team. Lions Chiefs again open open the season on Thursday Night Football. Monday Night Football. Week 4, I mentioned it. it Seahawks-Giants. There's nothing wrong with the opponents. It's the geographics and when they're playing these games. You know, Jets-Cowboys week two will be interesting. Uh, Coleman, the schedule, Sunday night football week five. Cowboys go to the 49ers, right? Can't get enough Dallas Cowboys. God forbid you don't give them 19 primetime games. Dolphins go to Philly week seven. Sunday night football, that's going to be a great game. The amount of talent that's going to be on the field for that. You hope Tug of Ilo is hurt and not at risk. But with Jalen Hurts, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Kenneth Gainwell, uh, Tyreek Hill, this is going to be awesome. You got the Bengals all over the map. The Bills and the Bengals week nine. Um, Colts and Panthers uh, is an interesting game for many reasons. The rookie quarterbacks obviously being uh, uh, one of them that week. Uh, Jets Raiders Sunday Night Football should be a fun one too week 10. Look, there's a lot of great games, but it's absolutely one of the times where I will say here that I am not saying anything that is incorrect or factually untrue. The way the NFL and the league put this schedule together with the New York Giants really needs to be looked at. 
And the fact that this was released the way it is, again, this is how they piss and moan all the time about being available, playing through injury, playing tough, sending them to Europe, putting the stupid Thursday night crap, and you put a schedule like this together, mark my words, guys are going to get hurt and it's going to be a bad look for the league. And you know what's going to happen to the freaking NFL? Absolutely nothing. And that's what pisses me off the most. The way they put the schedule together is asinine. And it's going to cause problems. And it's going to reverberate. Because players are already, guys that don't play for the Giants are pissed at that schedule. That should tell you all you need to know. With that, I've got to get up to the Bronx. Yankees tonight. Tampa Bay, second of four games. Garrett Cole on the mounds. Yanks need to win. Nine games out of first place. A game out of the wild card. They got to get something going as they go for win number 22 tonight. Thanks, folks. I'll talk to you again regular time next Friday, 5 p.m. I'll be right here. It's Sports Today with Peter J. Have a great weekend, folks. Go Knicks. Sports Today with Peter J.